So, we are beginning our mini-sermon series here in the month of June, and we're doing it as, uh, as a church and as elders very deliberately um, as, as a way or taking the opportunity to speak to uh, what's happening in our world. Hopefully we do that every week from the scriptures, and we want to bring that out. But sometimes we want to be a little more specific because we feel that as, as elders in the church, as leaders, we need to do everything that we can to help equip you to deal with what's going on in the world. And it's just a really good occasion this month of June. Um, it's the Pride Month. It's Juneteenth coming up. And so it's kind of these takeoff points on all, all these issues that directly affect us as Christians. We're not here. We're not simply here just to lay out everything that's wrong and bash in that way. But we really want to equip from Scripture. Now, we're going to address issues, obviously, but that's not the main point of this. It's to equip you and to encourage you with things you already know. <laughs> things that, again, there's nothing new under the sun, but it's being reminded. It's applying what you know uh, by the grace of God and being encouraged to do just that. So this week I'll be preaching from Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, next Lord's Day, Aaron, Elder Aaron, will be preaching. I'll be preaching in the evening on the same theme, and then the following, the last uh, Sunday of the month, Elder Luke will be preaching as well. So we want to address these from the scripture. And when you do such things, oftentimes you can't give it the full treatment that you'd like to, and that's certainly the case for today. I'm going to be reminding you of that as we go through this message. Well, our Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 59, and I do want you to turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah 59, and the section that I'm going to be reading from, this is God's judgment and redemption, but this is such an apt portion of Scripture all the time, but especially in our time. So you have to understand, there are different times, there's... uh, at times, things are more urgent than at other times. We're in a very urgent time right now, a very dark time. And this portion of Isaiah speaks not only to the time, at that particular time when it was written, what was going on in the nation, but also what's happening right now. And this is what we are under. So take note of this, and you'll see the connection to the scripture that we're uh, considering this morning as well. So Isaiah chapter 59 Verses 14 through 20, this is the word of the Lord. Listen to what he says. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For the truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself prey. Mark that down. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there would be no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on a garment of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. 
For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. A redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, who turn from transgressions, declares the Lord. Amen. Now, to Ephesians chapter 6. And this is our text this morning. Ephesians 6, very familiar passage for most of you. Beginning in verse 10, this is Paul's encouragement, admonition, right before he's ending this wonderful letter of Ephesians. Don't have time to go through uh, the, the entire letter, but as he's coming to the end, he's encouraging them. And he says this beginning in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because this is true, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put, on the, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And thus, uh, the reading of God's Word so far. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, as we come to your Word this morning, I pray that you would be with us, that you would take all distractions away, Lord God, that our minds and our hearts would be fixed on you, that you would bring conviction from your Holy Spirit, that you would bring encouragement by your Spirit through your Word, through the preacher, Lord God, this morning, as we look to your Word. Equip us, Lord, for this time. Yes, it's a dark time. It's also in some ways, an exciting time, Lord God, that you've placed us here, that we may show forth that light, that we may be strong witnesses for Jesus Christ, that we may be bold for you in every single way. So, Lord, please bless this message to your glory and for our good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin by uh, reading a quote from Martin Luther, and he's talking about the uh, time, timeliness, in certain times that we find ourselves in, and I, I think he's speaking mainly to pastors, but it really applies to all of us as Christians, that we need to be ready to act in that particular moment, that particular time in which we find ourselves as Christians, and be strong in that particular area as well. So listen to what Luther says. He says, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition Every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the worlds and the devil are at that time, at that moment, attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Right? We could be addressing certain areas and doing certain things that are good and that are necessary, but if we're not talking about exactly what's happening at this present moment, then we're missing the boat, Luther's saying, as Christians. So he goes on to say, where the battle rages, 
There the loyalty of the soldier is proved. So we could be good in, in different areas. But right now, at that moment, when we're called to stand strong in what we're facing today, that's where we are proved as soldiers. There the loyalty is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefields besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. That's a real charge to us in the time that we're living in today. Um, if you're a Christian this morning, if you're truly in Jesus Christ, then you're in a battle. You're in the battle. You're in it, whether you want to be or not. That's your choice if you're going to engage or not in that way. But nevertheless, you are in the spiritual battle. It's always battle. It's always active. It's active in different ways, right? You know it's active on a micro level, like very personally. This text speaks very personally to the attacks of Satan and the schemes of the devil towards individual Christians. But it's also very active on a macro level, corporately. And there are corporate issues that we need to deal with as well. This text covers both of those aspects. We love to take this and think about our life as Christians personally, and that's very true. But it also applies to us broadly as the church of Jesus Christ. So always battle, always active in different ways, micro or macro, always to different, different degrees, greater, lesser degrees, monumental degrees. Sometimes the battles are, 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 are smaller, Moderate or huge. Right now we're in a huge war. Like even, even uh, with the Second World War, there were battles all the time. But then there were monument, monument, monumental battles. D-Day, Midway, Iwo Jima. Those are battles. Those are monumental battles that took place. Today, in the year of our Lord, 2023, we find ourselves in God's providence in a monumental spiritual battle as the church Right now, there's an all-out assault on many fronts coming for Christians specifically at bottom, foundationally. Because if you're not a Christian, you will have a breaking point at some point. You might disagree morally and fundamentally with certain things that are going on that don't line up with your ethics and values. But when you're pressed and when you're pushed, if you don't have Christ to rely on, then you will give in eventually. You'll capitulate. So you have friends and neighbors. Well, I'm personally not for same-sex marriage, but you know, if it makes them happy, right? That's, that's how it goes, because eventually it's going to get you. But if you're in this, you know that there's an all-out assault on many fronts. And that assault is beginning, begins with the church, within the church itself. You have to understand something. There are progressive Christians. Progressive Christianity is in the evangelical church they are aggressively, aggressively undermining the authority of Scripture, key doctrines of Scripture. So you have progressive, they call themselves Christians, but they undermine and they're denying doctrines such as the atonement, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, that he died in our place. People that are professing Christians, people, now I'm not talking just about the liberal churches who long ago gave up on the inspiration of Scripture. I'm talking about evangelical churches today. Pastors, teachers, Christian artists, in Christian influencers that you've listened to in the past, maybe not long ago, are starting and have been talking this way within the church, telling us that, look, we need to, we need to really rethink some of these teachings. We need to rethink the, the uh, understanding of the rules within the church between men and women. Southern Baptist Convention, here we have now the women preachers are bringing forward. This is a spiritual battle. This is progressive Christianity. One of the fronts that we are 
dealing with. These progressives use the same terminology, same language, different definition be- behind those words and those teachings. So, so they're, they're coming to the point where their churches are welcoming CRT, critical race theory uh, agenda, LGBTQ agenda within the church itself. So it's inside the church right now. In our society and, and in our nation, the onslaught of secular humanism, which has been going on for a long time, is kind of reaching uh, a crescendo, huh? Uh, that point that's there. All that means is man usurping God when the state itself becomes God. And more and more, we are seeing that as Christians, as a nation, we're under attack in that way. There's no doubt that's another front. Critical race theory in all its various forms is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Government agencies, from government agencies to corporate boardrooms, in almost every classroom, there's these teachings going on. Right? Requiring compliance. You must comply to this. This is why we're doing this today. The LGBTQ, especially as we're thinking about in the month of June, much like critical race theory, is found just about everywhere that we turn. It doesn't matter where you go. If you go into different stores, if you go different businesses, if you go into hospitals, if you're watching a sport, it doesn't matter where you go, where you try to run and hide. It is everywhere. There's a huge offensive at this point, using the war terminology, Demanding not only acceptance, not simply demanding acceptance, but complete affirmation. Complete affirmation that you must affirm and say, yes, this is right, this is good, this is just. At the root, it's not merely sociological, it's not merely ideological, it is, it affects society. There are ideologies behind it. At its root, it is deeply theological. It is deeply spiritual. You need to know this. This is why Paul was warning us, and this is what we're going to get into this morning. Secular humanism, Marxist communism, that is a fundamental denial, and not just a denial, but a disdain for God. Track it. Follow it. It's getting rid of God and getting rid of those who believe in God that are going to uphold the standards of God. And that is encroaching, that is encroaching upon us. Secular, uh, Patricia Calores, Patricia Calores, who is a founding member of Black Lives Matter, which falls under the umbrella of critical race theory, is deeply, deeply spiritual. She has no problem. Look, look that up. Her fundamental driving force is spiritual. It's African religion. That's what it really is. There's no qualms. They make no qualms about it. Say, this is a spiritual battle. So it's in direct conflict with the word of God and, and with who God is. So, so don't think it's just this, oh, we're social changing and all that. It's deeply, deeply theological and deeply spiritual. LGBTQ+, that is the overt renunciation of all that God said is good. When God created, he said, this is good. This is very good. And what's that? It's the binary. It's his design for marriage. It's his design for family. It's his design for society. It's his design for sexuality. All of that boldly and stridently is being repudiated by those in this movement. 
It's a direct attack. It's a direct, it's a frontal assault on God and his purposes and his design. See, it's God's word, and listen, it's God's word and his people who stand in the way. It's you who stand in the way of utopia for the Marxist. It's God's people. It's you who stand in the way of true fairness and equity for the critical race theorist. It's you and your God for the LGBTQ that stand in the way of freedom to love whom I want to love, to accept myself. Do you understand? This is the core. So Paul says this, behind all of this stands the evil one. Look at verses 10 through 12. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Put on the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This should take on a deeper meaning for you right now uh, because of where we are as, as a church and as Christians. Behind everything that I just mentioned stands the evil one. Make no doubt the opposite of what God's intentions are. We know that. So just think about this for a minute. What does God bring forth? When we're following God, then we have peace. When Satan has that upper hand, as it were, there's strife. So is there a time of peace, or are we in a time of strife, generally thinking, as you think about the world today? See, it's God who brings true love. When you understand who God is, then you know what true love is and how to live accordingly. But it's Satan who brings in self-love. Forget about what God says. Love yourself. See, it's, it's, it's just so evident. It's so clear. It's crystal clear. It's God, when you're following God, who loves order. We love order, don't we? Structure, right? Purpose in that way. When the evil one comes, it's chaos. Are we in chaos today as a nation, as a world? It's chaotic. It's, it's in the midst of that, at least right now. It's God, and when you follow God, who loves reason. It's Satan who loves irrationality. We're not, you can't reason. There's no irra- People are irrational. They're, they can't see the plain truth before their eyes. That's Satan behind this. God loves clarity and brings clarity. Satan loves confusion. We're living in a land of confusion, as Phil Collins once sang. Where God is loved and honored, there is fairness. Where Satan is looked to, there is partiality. Where God is loved and cared and brought into, life is promoted. Where Satan is, there's the culture of death. Where God is, there is self-control among people and honor and dignity. When Satan is held up, there is self-indulgence. Now, you tell me, you tell me where are we at today. This has never been more true than today. It's never more. It's crystal clear. It has to be so obvious to you. So we have our command. Now, this is going to be brief. This is almost just going to be a detailed outline. I have to give this caveat. I will again. This would take, if we were going through Ephesians, any one of us, I don't know, Aaron might be in this for two months. I I would take at least three sermons (laughs) to get through this section. So I do want you to know that. So we're just going to be kind of skimming. I don't want to say, oh, there's nothing here, like, get me off the hook from preaching. But listen, you need to know this. There's so much more that can be said 
uh, on, on this particular section of Scripture. But we, as his people, have our command and we have our marching orders. And we need to take that very seriously. We need to get our eyes off ourselves and on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the source of our strength. Number one, verse 10, finally says, be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in yourself. Don't be strong in this person. Don't find your strength in psychology, psychiatry, or this guru. Find your strength where it lies in Jesus Christ alone. He says, be strong in the Lord. And strengthen his might. He's reaffirming that. Don't find it in yourself. If you try to battle on your own, you will lose. You're no match for Satan. You're no match for this world. You would give right in like those guys do. Oh, I'm a Christian and I'm going to tweet this out. But as soon as that pressure comes on, you crumble and you go back into your little hole, apologize and bow down to the evil ones. That's not, see, you're fighting that battle on your own. You're not going to stand. You will crumble. It takes strength. To, to fight this fight in strength that we do not possess. You understand? It comes from the Lord. So he's saying the battle belongs to the Lord. We're the willing soldiers. We're the ones who got, are called to be faithful. That's the trick for you. That's the idea that, that we need to be standing on. And this also tells us that the Christian life will not be easy. And I don't want to promise you a, a rose garden. And we, we do promise eternal life. He promised eternal life. Amen. That's after this. Right now, it is hard. And if anybody's telling you that you could have it all now, your best life now, health and wealth, all goodness, all this, all that, then they're selling you something, and you're giving your money away to those charlatans. That's all. That's what it is. Because it is hard to be a Christian in this world. You know that on a personal level in our own struggle with sin, but on a corporate level, which we're taking this on today, to be faithful in a world, in a society that is absolutely coming at us from all different directions with this darkness. We cannot do it on our own. It's like when, when Israel was battling their enemies, that Josh, they had not, um, it wasn't that held up Moses' hands. <laughs> Come on, it's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when he held his hands up in the air, what was happening? The battle was being won as the Lord was advancing the truth. When he put his arms down, what happened? The enemies would have been. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's in the strength and trusting in the Lord. So we do have the text. I think whenever Moses held his hands in the air, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. That's a teaching us that our strength is in the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. In Judges chapter 7, when the battle was going on to, to fight, there were at least... Um, 32,000 men to begin with to get ready for the battle. But then all these guys, who's ever afraid, go, go home. Whoever doesn't want to fight, if you're married, go home. If you lap the one, go home. That's what he's saying. So the battle belongs to the Lord. So from that kind of 32,000 down to 300, the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men who lapped, I will save you. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the other go let all the others go, every man to his home. See, the battle belongs to the Lord. And that's what we need to acknowledge, first of all. It is his. The victory is his. We could be, um, you know, going into this, have those concerns and kind of, but we have to understand that the battle belongs to him, not to you. Do not try this on your own. So 
apart from complete reliance on and obedience to him, we will be no match for the adversary. You will give in. He is too strong for us. We're seeing those forces being unleashed. You know how hard it is to stand up. You know in your own heart right now, in your own mind, the decisions you're going to be called to make if you haven't been called on already to make those decisions. You cannot do it on your own. He says, be strong in the Lord, in the Lord, and in his strength we fight and we're able to stand. Verse 11, again, how we stand, it says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. When he says being able to stand, all that means is remaining faithful. Don't you want to remain faithful? Don't you want to be the one when somebody comes and says that you must say yes to this and you say no because my God says no? Or somebody wants you to say no to this and you say yes because my God says Don't you want to be faithful and stand that way? Yes, you do if you're a true Christian. This is how you remain faithful. He uses the analogy of a Roman soldier, always getting ready for battle. That's the Christian life. It is a battle and you're in it personally and corporately as well. Given those things, We're given those things. If we use them willingly, we will show our faithfulness and our dependence on God. And that's what the Christian life is about. It's about your faithfulness. It's not about you winning the battle. It's not about you. whatever. However the Lord is going to use you, you are called to be faithful and dependent. And then he's going to do what he wants with you and with us. You understand that? It's not about us, oh, I'm going to do this and and I get the victory. No, we might do this and end up dead, but he gets the glory for that if you are faithful. That's what we want to do. Faithfully use what he gives to us. It gives a purpose so that we might stand, not given over, not give in to temptation to sin or to sin itself. Verse 12. Again, we're cruising. Uh, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Always remember this is the heart of the struggle. Everything that we struggle, again, on a personal level, but we're really thinking corporately today, the heart of our struggle with Christians is the outward manifestations, the temptations, the difficulties. Listen. Those are manifestations of a deeper spiritual battle. Always keep that in mind. Always remember that. Behind the evil that we are facing today, it's not just this person or that group, right? Behind the evil that we're facing today is the evil one. That's the one. The father of lies. He is the one. And you have to understand that you, as a Christian who loves God, who is his enemy, his mortal enemy, you That places you, that places us right in the crosshairs. You are in the crosshairs of the evil one. So the manifestations of evil around us are from the one who stands behind it. So let me give you a little illustration on how this works. LGBTQ, especially transgenders, demand, are demanding, not saying leave us alone, let us live our lives, are demanding affirmation. And they're especially demanding affirmation ultimately from you, from the Christian, from you who believe in God. Why Why do you demand affirmation? I don't need you to affirm me as a Christian. I don't need you to say, you're a Christian and I'm glad you're a Christian. Yes, I affirm your Christianity. We don't need that because we know who we are in Jesus Christ. Our identity is sure in Christ Jesus. But they need us to affirm them because we represent God who created them. 
the God who they know, the God whose commands we have in our heart, the God whose commands we suppress in unrighteousness, the God whom we rebel against, and the God that we will answer to. But if you say as a Christian, well, it's all good, and I get it, and it's just fine, then they go on believing that it might be so. Understand? That's how it works. That's, a, that's a, the, the battle behind it. You represent God. And if I can get you to say, I'm okay in my sin, well, then I can keep on believing the lie and thinking I'm okay. You see the nature of the battle? Standing behind that is the evil one. So what are the weapons of our warfare? What are the weapons of these spiritual warfare? Listen, before we talk about them, each one of them, each and every one is essential. You lose one of these or you put one to the side, you are very vulnerable to the attack of Satan. And that's how we fall very, very much personally in our own lives. We forget about the armor of God or we forget this idea, or this principle. We open ourselves up to temptations. We slip into sin. It happens on an individual level, happens on a corporate level well. Each one is necessary without which you are vulnerable. Three things that we have on, three things that we need to take up. So, these things, and listen to this. These things, if you're a Christian, they belong to you. They are yours. You're on the team. You know, were you ever on a team? Don't you love the uniform? Don't you love the equipment? You know, I, I love the, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I loved the uniform. I was the dude that would put all the sweatbands on. I had those stirrups when I played baseball, eye black underneath. You know, others just would go out with a basic uniform, but I loved all of that. I love being part of the team. Well, that's kind of the idea here that we are, we, we, these belong to us. They are given to us. We have that uniform. We have the equipment that, that that's what identifies us. When you're on a team, when you're wearing it, when you have the hat, when you have the jersey, that identifies what team you're on. That's the idea. We are on his team. We belong to him. This is what he's given to us. Every single true Christian has these things. All right, that's the sovereignty of God. Now, your free will tells you how you're going to use it. That's where your choice comes in. What are you going to do? So, again, this is going to be a machine gun approach. Um, we can't really rest on any of these, so we're going to go kind of quickly through these. But hopefully it will be a good framework for you to uh, take down if you're taking notes and then to uh, press on and go deeper in on, on in your own study. So what's he say? First of all, he says, therefore... Take up the whole armor of God, verse 13. You may be to stand in the old evil day. Having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. So the first thing is the belt of truth. What is truth? See, right now, today, Christian, you're living in a day and age where truth is up for grabs, according to the world. Truth is whatever you want it to be, and it's so hard because there goes that irrationality that we were talking about earlier that we mentioned earlier. It's hard to reason with people. They don't, the truth is their own truth. Whatever, you could say the sky is blue. Well, it's blue for you, but it's green for me. Okay, well, if it's green for you, then it's that, okay, this is, this is, the sta- this is where we find ourselves today. The truth is up to, for grabs. There is objective truth, but people are living as if there is no objective truth, that you're making up your own truth as you go along. This is a big deal, and I think it's, I don't know if there's any sequential order of importance in this, but without the truth, we have nothing. This is the foundation, right? So he says, put on that belt of truth. Strap it up. So when the Roman soldier would be getting ready for the battle, he would tuck everything in nice and tight. He would, he would um, 
gird his loins, as it were, fastened all his undergarments so that there were no loose ends. There was nothing that was hanging out that the enemy could grab onto. There was nothing that he would get caught up on during a battle. There was nothing that would fall down on him during a battle. I mean, you know, so we're even, again, the sports analogy kind of goes to this. When you're getting ready for a game, there's that intensity. You're putting on the uniform. You're tightening that belt. You're making sure you're as ready as you can be. Well, that's the idea behind this, to, 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 to have that belt of truth fastened. And the principle or the teaching behind that is that you as a Christian need to hold on to the truth. It's not just acknowledging the truth. We could do that. But it's deeply abiding in the truth, a deep commitment, a no matter what commitment to the truth of God. Who is truth? Right? God is truth. He establishes truth. Truth begins with him and is in him. So that is the standard of truth. That is the objective, moral, abiding standard. He established it. Therefore, it's transcendent. It's above us. It comes from God. It's absolute. It's unchanging. It's not going to go back and forth. So that's a battle that we have right now with the world. We're living in a world where that all three of those things. Truth comes from you. Truth is... is uh, uh, um, arbitrary truth is relative truth truth changes i have my truth and you have your truth and we're up against it because we're saying no 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 no. there's one truth is your belt fastened are you willing to stand on that commitment it means holding on tightly and i'm telling you right now this is very dicey for us today very dicey for us today because we're being told that we must embrace truths that are contrary to Scripture, which means that they are lies. And you are being told that, Christian, today. So we can have many, many examples. With this being June, we'll talk about the preferred pronouns. You are being told, you are being commanded and demanded to believe a truth that is contrary to Scripture, which actually makes it a lie. That people need to be called by the preferred pronouns. That has to do with identity. We can't do that because we know the truth. You're not a they, them. You're he or she. Him or her. Him, her. Truth. We can't say that there are multiple genders. You can't say that. But right now there's so much pressure for you to do just that. Two. What? Not 159? Not a, not, a, not a countless number. So how are you going to stand on the truth? We're told that you could be, that a male can be a female or a female could be a male. Are you going to stand on the truth? See, these are very real implications. This is the belt of truth. This is the belt of truth. And this is the proving ground. And this is the battle that we're in right now. The belt of truth demands that we say no to the lies. Always with compassion. Always with grace, always with humility, but always unwavering and uncompromisingly. That is the belt of truth. You have that belt if you're a true Christian. Are you prepared to speak and to stand steadfastly on the truth of God without compromise? Are you ready for the battle? Because it's coming your way. It's here. It's now. Stand. It goes on to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. 
It says, I stand firm, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. <sighs> Obviously, you have your body armor, the shield, right? That's, that's, you had covering you, cover what? The vital organs, that kind of thing. If you're not into the war, if you're so far removed from that, you can maybe think of a catcher on a baseball team. He puts on the thing, <laughs> the thing that he wears <laughs> to, to protect himself, to protect his vital organs, right? To protect himself in that way. So um, the idea behind this, and listen very closely because of the distinction, it doesn't mean to be made righteous. He's not saying uh, put on the breastplate so that you may become righteous in the sight of God or a breastplate that leads to righteousness with God. No, it's not talking about justification um, to be made right with God. What he's saying, uh, you're already made right with God if you're a Christian, so you don't need that for that particular thing. But you do need the breastplate of righteousness in order to live your life righteously. So he's talking more about a personal righteousness. He's talking about more of a obedience to the Lord. In other words, when you think about the breastplate of righteousness, think about seeking how you are to live for Jesus Christ, to be righteous. Don't you want to be righteous? Don't you want to be that, that person that, that walks in obedience to, to the Lord? Don't, to, to, to be, it's, the idea is to be protected through righteous living. So if even someone makes an accusation against you, it's proven false. They have to lie about you. And that's okay if they lie about you if it's not true about you. Amen? That's, so Proverbs 10.9 says this. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. That's the breastplate of righteousness. I'm walking in the integrity of the Lord. I'm walking for him. I don't have to worry about accusations. I don't have to worry about being found out. I don't have to worry about all that stuff over there because I'm walking in a righteous manner. But he who makes his way crooked will be found out. And in Romans 13, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Romans 13 because he speaks to this idea as well. It gives a little clear picture of what this means because this, this breastplate of righteousness is walking in righteousness. We don't want to have people being able to say, aha, see, you hypocrite. Of course we're sinners and we're going to not be perfect in any way. But as insofar as it depends on us, we need to be at peace with all people. Insofar as it depends on us, we need to be as righteous as we can be. So, so that's not a hindrance to us in this war. Because all the enemy needs is to say, aha, so you say this on the one hand, but that's what you're doing on the other hand. Right. right? It's a matter of credibility too. But Romans 13, beginning in verse 11, I want you to hear this. Paul says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleeping. For salvation is nearer to us now than when, it, when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let's cast off the works of darkness and put on, here it is, the armor of light. That armor of righteousness. Let it, and so what's that look like? Let us walk properly as in the daytime. You know, everybody could see me. I'm not doing this stuff at night. Not orgies or drunkenness, not sexual immorality, not sensuality, not quarreling and not jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So that's the idea of the shield of faith. Right? And that's when you want to go into the battle like with that integrity and, and having that, not having to worry about it. There's enough problems already, enough issues that we're dealing with. We don't want to have to be um, uh, disqualified because of our actions and behavior. Again, if they disqualify us, if they cancel us based on lies, that's okay. But we don't, that's the idea of the breastplate of righteousness. So be mindful of that as well. Again, so uh, high moral character in that way. So we move on um, to the next. Again, that 
what I just spoke to, that would, that would be like one sermon. We would be doing that in one week, but since we are doing it in this fashion, we're, we're moving on quickly. But I want you to have these to, like hooks to hang on. He goes on and says, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It's the gospel that brings peace. So having our feet shod with the gospel. Obviously, you need the right kind of shoes for whatever you're doing. That's a big deal today. Everything's specialized, and the right kind of shoes mean everything. So for the soldier, those, if you don't have the right kind of equipment, the right boots, you can't, the feet, you're in big trouble. You're out of the, you're, you're very vulnerable in that way. So that part of the equipment is very, very important. Having those boots that are fit, that are set, that are made for those things. You know this. Um, otherwise, you're going to lose your footing. And that's, and that's what I mean. We'll talk about what it means in a second. But standing firm is the idea on the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings peace. But, but you know, um, if you're a hiker, um, our son went hiking, and it was, it was a, I guess, a moderate one. He was so thankful that he didn't wear his regular shoes because he said he never would have made it. He would have just been slipping and slipping. But he had the little spikes, right? He had the little spikes, and those spikes dug in. So he had those shoes that were fit so he could, so he could dig in. That's, that's just the idea, right? To have the right shoes for the right um, uh, appropriate situation. So he, listen, he's not talking about, and a lot of times we think, well, this is talking about taking the gospel out. Beautiful for the feet of those who bring glad tidings, Romans 10. That's true. We bring the gospel out as missionaries. But here, in this instance, he's talking about standing firmly on the gospel of truth, the truth of salvation without fear, that the gospel that brings peace is what we're standing on. So we're not afraid because we know that they need the truth of the gospel. So even in Philippians 1.28, do we have that? We're not frightened in anything by our opponents because that's a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation in Christ on the gospel, that is from God. So it's standing firm in the gospel, the gospel of peace, is not just a peace, you know, because we've received the gospel. It is that, but it's so much more. It's what is so desperately needed, and it's at the heart of, of everything that we do. We're not going to see see real transformation or change in people's lives, in communities, in societies until that gospel is proclaimed, until we're standing firm on the gospel and preaching that gospel even to our enemies. That is what's most desperately needed is a transforming power of the gospel. That's more important than winning arguments. You understand? It's more important than proving others wrong because we could do it. It's more important than just simply pointing out sin, but it's showing them the way of salvation which leads to total transformation. And that's where we begin. And that's why we can't be ashamed of the gospel of peace. That's why we can't be afraid to tell people about Jesus Christ and their need for sin. I know sometimes that's hard to do and we're in a day and age, but that is the answer. And far too long we've kind of set that aside or watered it down or tried to make it easy. He is standing firmly on the gospel. And I'm not going to be moved from that because that is the power of salvation. That is what transforms the heart. And so we're going to stand and we're going to proclaim Christ and him crucified. Think about Paul in the book of Acts, how he did that unashamedly. Why are we so ashamed of the gospel? Why? I'm not going to answer that. That's just a rhetorical question. You could wrestle with that. So, in our remaining time, 
These are the things that are given to us. All of these are given to us. Certain things we have is described as having on already. And then there's certain things that we take up. And you can't forget these things. You cannot forget these things. None of them. But especially these last three, as he talks about taking up. Don't forget them. You need them for the battle. You're not going to be successful in the battle if you don't have these things each and every day. So what are they? Therefore, he goes on to say, um, <clears throat> verse 16, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, at all times, take up. You take that up consciously. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Those are the ones that we are we're cognizant of everything. But these are the ones we consciously need to take up and remember each and every moment, each and every day, every single circumstance that we have to take up. First of all, he talks about um, the shield of faith. Taking up the shield of faith. For the Roman soldier, there were different shields. You had the, the round shields like you see on the shows and going at it. They had oblong shields that they would hide behind. And, and when arrows would come, um, the flaming arrows, they could hide behind that. That's, that's the picture. That's the idea. And it's an idea of constant battle, constant attack, sometimes more heavy than others like we've mentioned earlier, but, but it's always happening. So there's a temptation. If you don't have that shield, then you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to temptation. Those arrows, those flaming arrows, those are personal temptations to the faith. It's when we are tempted to deny the faith, to give in to the lies, anything contrary to his word, where we're tempted or compelled to give in. Without that shield, then you leave yourself wide open to those temptations. You leave yourself wide open to that attack, Right? So, so we, need to, we need to take that up in Christ Jesus um, to extinguish those flames, reminding ourselves of the truth of God, of the gospel of Christ, of the precepts of the word. That's why it needs to be in us. So that shield of that faith that we believe in Christ, hiding under the shadow of his wings, as it were. It's a different metaphor, but the same kind of idea. Um, a lot of those shields that they would have when the fiery darts came, they had a substance, like kind of an oily substance that would absorb the, the arrows and ex extinguish those arrows. But that's, that's an idea. I'm not letting your guard down in our faith. The moment you let your guard down, that an arrow is going to find you, and you will be tempted. And, and that might be carried on to, to full-blown full blown sin in that way. So we need to make sure that we take that up every single day. Right? Again, on a personal level, but here I'm being more corporate because of the subject matter this morning. Um, the helmet of salvation. He talks about the helmet of salvation. And what's that? It's not justification. Again, it's not gaining salvation. We don't put on the helmet of salvation so we get saved. We're already saved. We're already saved from the penalty of sin, right? That's our justification. So the idea in theology when we talk about soteriology and being saved, it's different facets, but one of the ideas is that we have been saved, we're justified, so we are, we are um, free from the penalty of our sins. We are being saved, that's our sanctification, we're being saved, so we're, we're saved from the power of sin in our lives, and we will be saved in an ultimate sense when we're free from sin and in the presence of God. That's, that's the Christian's goal as, as such. But, but here we're reminded of the hope 
of our glorification. I think it's that third aspect that he's talking about here when he says put on the helmet of salvation. So we go in with confidence, right? We're putting on that helmet. Just like a, um, a player, a football player, he wouldn't dream of going onto the field without his football helmet. There's no protection for him there. We put on that helmet of salvation, which reminds us of our hope in Jesus Christ, of the glorification, of the victory that we already have in Christ. So that makes us bold. Right? So if you have a running back and he doesn't have a helmet on, he's not going to go charging into the front line, right? But if he has his helmet on, that's a different story. Well, maybe Dom would without a helmet, but nobody else would, right? right? But that's the idea here. But we have confidence in our God that our salvation is secure and we have that hope. If you're not sure about your salvation, if you doubt the perseverance of God preserving you. If you think that you could lose your salvation, then you're not going to be brave in the battle because you're going to be wondering, oh no, what if I'm, what if I'm, they, my life is required of me in some way. Am I really going to be in heaven? But if you know that you have a place in heaven, if you know that you're secure, then that helmet of salvation gives you that boldness, gives you that confidence. What can man do to me, right? Go ahead, take my body. You can't touch my soul because Christ already has that. So we have that kind of confidence. That's what the helmet of salvation is. You put that on, what are you going to do? Who are you? So what? Take my life. I'm with my Lord anyway, right? That's where we want to be. That's the helmet of salvation as we're entering into this battle. 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 8, and 9. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love and a helmet for the hope of salvation. What's the hope of our salvation? Our glorification. Amen. That we're going to be with the Lord. So it's not like, oh, I'm hoping that I'm going to be with the Lord. We know that we're going to be with the Lord. So we could be bold. We could be brave. That's the scripture speaks to that. For God has not destined us for wrath. Amen. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have that. That's the idea behind this. So the helmet of salvation gives us boldness and confidence. Are you bold? Are you confident? See, when you're, when you're fearful, like if you know that you belong to the Lord and man can only do so much, can he do anything to you? Yeah, he can do a lot to you, but he can't take what you have in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the idea. That's a big deal. So we could be bold. So Acts 14, 2 and 3 says this. Do I have Acts? Did I give you Acts? Oh, I did. I, of course I skipped a couple. My apologies. But you wouldn't have known that. Uh, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers who were preaching the gospel. So they remained for a long time, what? Speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done at their hands. And then Acts 4.29. And now look, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So in the face of uh, these consequences of the face of our enemy, we could approach them with boldness because we hel- have the helmet of salvation. That's a big deal. That's something we need to take to heart. Confidence and boldness. Well, then finally, one more. In our quick exposition of this section, and he says, finally, <clears throat> take up the sword of the Spirit. So remember, these are the things you have to put on. You've got to grab that shield when you go into battle or you're in big trouble. Right? You need to have that. You need to have that helmet of salvation. It's going to protect you. But most of all, again, all equally important. Without one of these, you're vulnerable. But man, if you don't have the word, the spirit, you have no chance. Understand? And I think this is one of our biggest downfalls as Christians and as the church. 
We have the Bible all around us. Every one of you maybe have two, three, five, ten, twenty Bibles. But are you using it? Do you know it? He says that. You take up that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One weapon. This is the only weapon. Everything else, I mean, can be used as weapons if you want, but this is the weapon. It's like this. It's so important, yet I believe as a pastor, my experience, it's so neglected. And that's why we're so weak. No doubt. Can you imagine a soldier going into a battle without his gun? I'm coming into the battle! Dead. Baseball player coming up to bat without his bat. Hockey player, no stick. Don't you love when they break their sticks? Oh, his stick is broken. They take full advantage of that, right? When they're on the ice. You're a fireman, you're rushing into a fire without the hose. It sounds silly, isn't it? But that's exactly, that's exactly. What we do. Far too many Christians are just like this. Go into the battle without the sword. Right? We, we kind of lay it, lay it aside. We're not, we're not in the word as we ought to be. It is not hidden on our hearts. It's not ready on our lips as it ought to be. We are reluctant to, to pull it out of its sheath. We just are. We kind of leave it in there. Why do we do that? Right? We try to explain what it says without letting it speak, without using it. We'll tell people about the Bible, and that's fine in situations. You can quote the Bible. The Bible says, but you need to open this word. You need to let it speak. You need to show it. We need to use it. We need to be turning pages. It's the word of God. It's everything for us. It is the inspired and errant and fallible, sufficient word of God. I've been mentioning it throughout the sermon. There was power in this word. That's our power. Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just will live by faith. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Why do we leave it in its sheath? Why aren't we pulling it out? Why are we leaving the one weapon that he's given to us, the offensive weapon that he's given to us, there? Why don't we know it? That, 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 that's, we're trying everything else to, to fight the, the, the evils and push back the darkness all the while leaving the weapon that he gave us in the holster. It's up to you. This is, it's up to us to be bold, to bring this word out, to show them this word. That's what I love about my, I was going to say my boys, my elders, especially Aaron, man. He just brings that word out all the time. And he uses it. That's what we got to do. Never ashamed, never afraid. We're tempted to keep it in its sheath or in its holster, if it's a gun. The fact is, his word is not simply for the Christians. It's not just for us. It is for everybody. We read that this morning in Isaiah. His word is for everyone, and everyone needs to hear it, and everyone needs to know it. 
We need to be able to use it apologetically. We need to be give to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We need it to tear down the strongholds, the arguments, the philosophies that are against us. The things that we are facing today, we're not going to out-reason people. We're not going to kind of convince them that they're you know, wrong in this way. They don't care about the facts. They need the word, and it needs to penetrate their hearts. That's the work of the Spirit. Your work, your job, is to bring that forth. Are you willing to do that, soldier? Are you willing to do that for Christ? We need it evangelistically, as we read in Romans 1, to show our sin and his salvation. Amen. That's why we need the word. Where else are you going to get it? We could tell people about it, but they need to be reading the word and hearing the word that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by him. Please, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, get into the word. We have more Bibles per capita than anybody has ever had in the history of the world. People would have killed 200, 300, 500 years ago to have what you have. Christians, even today in places where the Bible is forbidden, taken out, take little pages of the Bible and pass it around to each other so they could have it. I showed you that video when the Chinese received those Bibles. They were kissing it and loving it and crying because they received it. And we won't even take it out of its shelf. We won't even take it off the shelf. Practically, we need it because it teaches us how to live, the commands to obey, the promises to believe, the principles to follow, how we act, how we react, how we conduct ourselves, how there's no truth, how no, nothing else makes sense apart from the truth of the word. You can't make sense of anything else. Why do we have good and evil? Where does that come from? How do we get that? The scripture teaches us that as it does everything else. How did we get here? Why are people mean to each other? Why do we die? See, this is, this is what Scripture teaches. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Not being ashamed, not being afraid, not being reluctant, as we have been for far too long. And I'm personally convinced that's one of the reasons we're in the shape that we're in today. Because we refuse to bring the truth of the Word where it needed to be, in the public square. If you're a Christian this morning, you have been granted the full armor of God. And whether you like it or not, man, you are in the battle, and it's coming for you. You could hide as much as you want. You could pretend things are normal. Oh, we're going to do this and do that. You know. You know below the surface it's not. And it's coming Again, the Lord could change it all, and we pray for revival, and all of that is good. But the way things stand right now, you are engaged. The question is, how far are you willing to be engaged? Are you willing to make the most of what's been given to you? I hope you feel challenged. I hope you feel convicted. I do. I hope you feel encouraged because we have the truth. So don't just leave here today and just like, okay, now we're going to go about everything else that we do today. Think about this.